Johnson for the end zone. Touchdown, Texans. And David Johnson is inside the 20. And Johnson straight ahead. That's a Texan touchdown. Big hole for David Johnson, who's loose again. The throw, touchdown, Texans. Watson in the pocket. Floats a perfect pass inside the 10. Pushing his way. Darren Fells, touchdown, Texans. No sacks in this game for either team. And the ball is out. Knocked loose. And the Bengals have recovered it. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. Talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. And we're joined this week by Ruben from the 713 Houston Sports Network. As we try and make some sense of yet another late fumble as the Texans drop an, another game to a no-name quarterback on a team that coming into Sunday had three wins and were 19 losses out of 20 on the road, but somehow managed to ship 37 points. Texans are now sitting third overall in the draft rankings, but that pick is going to Miami. Ruben, did you ever think this season would be quite as bad as it's turned out? No, no, I did not. And I think a lot of people really still don't realize that Bill O'Brien is still at fault for this season, even though he hasn't been here since the Vikings game. He chose not to invest in this defense, right? DJ Reader walks, um, you know, and this could go back, you know, from years, right? He doesn't give back Tyron Matthew. We let Kareem Jackson go. We trade Davion Clowney. He did not invest in this defense this offseason, and it shows. This is one of the worst defenses I have ever seen. You know, for the Houston Texans, it's just absolutely atrocious. Um, you know, Justin Reed and Zach Cunningham have played horrible. Uh, I mean, Zach Cunningham play, has been playing better as of late, and so was Justin Reed until he got hurt. But overall, man, this season is just rough. It's just rough because I think as fans, we try to buy in, right? We try to be hopeful that maybe we know what we're doing, and it just turned out we didn't. Yeah, and I think the, the, the buy-in bit and talked about this a lot and you feel almost foolish in a sense for trying yep. to see the positives because they weren't they weren't probably there no i mean i was just any way shape or form i was trying to see how this team is going to do good i was just thinking okay well maybe if this works and that works you know in a way bill o'brien was right because and, and it sounds crazy to say but Basically, he was like, well, Deshaun Watson is going to be better without DeAndre Hopkins. And we see that Deshaun Watson has played like an absolute fantastic monster MVP type level. So he was right on that point. But with the rest, he just couldn't handle it. And, you know, we we are where we are. We are are a 4-11 football team. Yeah, and I think the the defense is just, you know, it's it's crippled us all year. And I think, you know, when you watch, it was so similar, I think, to the Bears game, right? Because they just rolled out to the flat. Mm-hmm. You know, drop passes in, uh, screen game, and you know, and you can run plays like that against the defense who've got bad linebackers. And mm-hmm. and Tyrell Adams was at fault for two of the the, the TDs. Cunningham again, you know, it was okay at times. Yeah, you, you know, they both had a couple of hits, and people, you know, maybe watch that and go, "Oh, those guys are flying around," but they're letting you down at big moments. And look, they're not helped by a terrible front seven and having Watkins and Amenahu in the, as the middle, uh, the middle two guys in a front four. They can't defend the run. Um, and last week, even though they lost, I think it was the first game they'd led in time of possession. But on Sunday, even as you said, it didn't matter what Watson did. And he wasn't truly flawless, but he was, you know, as close as probably you can expect a quarterback yep. to be on a weekly basis, which he's been. But the Bengals ran 20 more plays than us and had the ball for over 13 minutes more, almost a full quarter of football 
they held the ball. So when you know when when you can't get off the field and get your best player to to cook, then you've not got a chance. No, you don't have a chance at all. I mean, you know, you could only put so much on Deshaun Watson. That's why wins and losses should not, you know, shouldn't. I don't think are or a quarterback stat because you know, time after time, Deshaun Watson has put this team on the back. I mean, you got to look at the Bills game last year. If it wasn't for Deshaun Watson, we don't win that game. Let's be honest with ourselves. Deshaun Watson has been let down by this team. I mean, go back to his rookie year, the game against the Patriots. It's the first time we're going to ever beat the Patriots in a very long time. The defense lets up. The amazing game against Seattle, the defense lets up. The game against the Eagles yeah, two years ago, defense lets up. It's 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 sickening that we know what the problem is, yet we, ch- we, we keep on continuing to not fix it. Yeah, and it's a shame because if you look at Watson and, and you know, in some ways it was, a, you know, to take the some positives out of it, it was, it was you know, Deshaun throwing his 100th touchdown in year four and it's really only year three in a bit, you know, because it was injured. But mm-hmm. if you look at the the quarterbacks that he's up there with to get to get to 100 touchdowns, he's, he's 53 games it's taken him. It's exactly the same as Johnny Unitas. You got Kurt, Kurt Warner at 50, Marino at 44. And I mean, Mahomes obviously had that 50 touchdown season in his first full year, nearly a year to learn. So he's kind of like Marino, Marino. You can see the benefit of that. But but um, And he's at 40 games, so 13 less. Um, but if you think of, you know, and, and he finally, I think after a long time, beat Matt Sharp's record of 29 touchdowns, which has probably stood a bit too long considering Watson's been on this team for a fourth season. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, like um, I just, this team just cannot develop its players for for whatever reason. And that's what's the most frustrating thing about it because this is the season that we were going to rely on the core players, right? We heard so much about tough, smart, dependable, and those players, you know, they just haven't been able to show up. You know, we were relying on Whitney Merciless, and Whitney Merciless has been god-awful. Who knows what's going to happen with him? You know, this season has just been a whole mess, and the only bright spot is Deshaun Watson. And, you know, that's my boy. That's my quarterback. But, you know, something has to be done and I think it's kind of evident you know I know we're supposed to talk about the head coaches you know later on in this podcast but it's it's evident now what the Houston Texans need yeah and I don't think at any point in this offseason you can mm-hmm. underestimate how bad this coach and staff has been um, and you saw that on 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 Sunday and I, you did see one bit of the broadcast and Cronell's kind of got the defense huddled around and He's trying to give a bit of a speech or, you know, a pep talk or whatever he was trying to do. But, he's you know, he's not an NFL-level head coach. He's yes. been a good coordinator, but he's been in the game a long time and maybe it's too long now. Um, and, you know, and Weaver has not done well this year and I think he's maybe coaching himself out of the league at times because I know he's, he's had nothing, you know, no talent uh, to deal with. But I, they're just when you're on a unit that just simply can't do the basics right. And look, is it Anthony Weaver's fault that that Tyrell Adams and Zach Cunningham consistently try and shoot gaps before the play develops and gets caught out and you get beat for a run. Because the the big the big swinging point in this game that, that kind of took it away from Houston, I thought, was after they got back into it, they got their ass kicked for the best part of the first and most of the second quarter. You almost hit a long ball in in uh, into Cooks for a, a touchdown just just right before the before the before the half, and then the, you know their first possession out the gate, they go and you know break a big one with uh, some AGP Ryan. So 
you know, it's just basic fundamental stuff like that. They just, you know, just like at the start of the Chicago game, give a big run up, 80 yards, kick the game off, and you're chasing the game at that point. And it's just basic stuff. And I don't think that's necessarily Weaver's fault, but I think that it's a reflection on the coaching staff as a whole that can it continues to it continues to be basic errors week upon week. No, I mean, I completely agree. I was very hype on Anthony Weaver. I thought he was going to finally be someone who isn't Romer Cornell, who's not going to play, uh, you know, like prevent defense and let the teams come back. But he's been absolutely worse, and yet you can't really blame him. Um, but then again, you can because there's no reason why you should be dropping, you know, Jacob Martin in coverage, uh, you know, Carlos Watkins in coverage. You know, he has looked bad. And Tim Kelly has looked bad as well. You know, I know Watson is playing like MVP, but Tim Kelly cannot scheme a game to save his life. Look at what the Bears did to us. Dissected us. You know, I said in that game, Mitchell Trubisky has to beat us with his arm. And in a way, he did, but he didn't throw past 20 yards. It was dink and dunk. And it's exactly what happened, you know, against the Bengals. You know, um, um. Uh, what's his name? Brad Allen, right? I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Brad Allen just destroyed us, and it's just, yeah, he did. Yeah. It, and it's just like both these coaches, Anthony Weaver and, and Tim Kelly, were already put in a tough position, but they definitely have not helped themselves. You know, because in the beginning of the season, Anthony Weaver was looked at as someone who could be a potential head coach. Absolutely not. Yeah, and I mean Brandon Allen. I mean, yeah, I just checked his name as Brandon, but I mean <laughs> that doesn't fucking matter. Right, does yeah. it? I mean, he's a he's a <laughs> he's a C, you know C level quarterback, you know at best, back, you know career backup type of guy. He's been in the league a few years, but to give up, you know, over five hundred yards against that, just it doesn't matter who's playing. You, like if he's not if he's not a first choice quarterback, those are not the kind of numbers you give up. I know you've been through a lot in your career, but is this the most difficult season that you've been through as a football player? Yes. How how are you? Will y'all be able to kind of regroup and hope to finish the season on a positive note next week? We're professional athletes getting paid a whole lot of money. If you can't come in and put work in in the building, go out to the practice field and work hard, do your lifts and do what you're supposed to do, you should not be here. This is a job. We are getting paid a whole lot of money. There are a lot of people watch us and invest their time and their money into buying our jerseys and buying a whole bunch of shit. And they care about it. They care every single week. We're in week 16 and we're four and 11. And there's fans that watch this game that show up to the stadium that put in time and energy and effort and care about this. So if you can't go out there and you can't work out, you can't show up on time, you can't practice, you can't want to go out there and win, you shouldn't be here. Because this is a privilege. It's the greatest job in the world. You get to go out and play a game. And if you can't care enough, even in week 17, even when you're trash, when you're 4 and 11, if you can't care enough to go out there and give everything you've got and try your hardest, that's bullshit. So that's how. I just, I think it's, that's, there are people every week that still tweet you, that still come up to you and say, hey, we're still rooting for you. We're still behind you. They have no reason whatsoever to. We stink. But they care. And they still want to win and they still want you to be great. That's why those people aren't getting paid. We're getting paid handsomely. That's why. And that's, that's who I feel the most bad for is our fans and the people who care so deeply in this city and the people who love it. 
and who truly want it to be great. And it's not. And that sucks as a player to know that we're not giving them what they deserve. Obviously, there was the big hot speech. I don't know what you made of that after the game. I, I, I think there's a there's a sense of frustration, and I think there's a sense of you know we only see the tip of the iceberg, right? So we only see the Sunday product, and there's so much goes into that product. The biggest part of it being the off season, and then you know the secondary part of that being the coaching and the preparation. And obviously, he's frustrated at that because he feels like there's players not putting in the same level of uh, you know level of effort to to put together themselves and a defensive unit that's that's worthy of of playing pro football at this level and what did you take make of it because there's been a lot of interpretation of those comments man i know this is the turned up for what podcast but man i wasn't well, buying t- well it's turned it's turned up for what as in uh why the hell am i watching this and that's been what the feeling <laughs> is, is. <laughs> rather than anything to do with jg because look i'm not a big jg fan as a guy i hate jg yeah. what yeah, and I think he's he, he's his demeanor and it, it's all about, it's always been about him in a sense. Look, mm. he was an he was an unbelievable player for years. Yes, as a as that that sort of twenty twelve to twenty fourteen stretch, you'll never see a guy do that ever again. Probably at that level, you know, Aaron Donald's not even at his best. He's he doesn't dominate games every week. And look, he's been a hell of a player. But sometimes I think, you know, it's it's a lot of it can be just for show. And I felt like he's either trying to pre precondition him leaving for the fan base, because you know you've obviously got everybody, you know, just associates him with Houston and he's done a lot of good work, right? Mm-hmm. But I think he just te- I think he's either teeing himself up for 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 a departure and he wants to just soften that blow, which is fine. You know, if he get some sort of capital, then I can take that. You know, for that seventeen and a half million cap, because because at the at the same time, look, I get his point, what he's trying to say, but when he's not played well this year either, I I think some, you know, when he called out Ross Blacklock earlier in the year, and there's been a lot of kind of stormy kind of press conferences, and it just feels a bit too much like bluster uh, for me, rather than actually just going out and doing it on the field and just keeping quiet when the cameras are on. I completely agree. I have never really been a fan of. JJ Watt. So when I saw this, I was like, all right, this is obviously for sure. This is obviously going to build his brand. I have no doubt in my mind that JJ Watt has already mentally checked out, you know, this season. I have no doubt in my mind he's already looking at photoshops with him in different jerseys. Now, the fan in me wants to say, oh, he cares about this. He doesn't he doesn't want to leave. Now, I think there's two things you do with JJ Watt. I think one is you obviously trade him, trying to find the best compensation, you know, that you could get from because we don't have a first or a second. You know, I think that needs I think that conversation needs to be had. Now, the second is if he wants to stay here, he's going to have to take a pay cut because 17 and a half million for him, who, like you said, has not played good whatsoever. You know, we cannot afford to pay him that much money. And, you know, it's kind of worrisome that if we do get rid of him, then, you know, we're already taking a, a good piece out of a horrible defense, making it even much worse. So I think that, you know, it's going to be a hard conversation what you have with J.J. Watt because I think this defense can be fixed. It's just, is it going to be with J.J. or not? Yeah, and I think the 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 years of knots, I mean, the fact that we never signed a pass rusher this offseason, I just couldn't believe that. that the fact that you extended Whitney Mercer's, like you said, I couldn't believe. And you had to always 
know that his production was going to start to, to dwindle at some point. I think we're kind of at that point. Now, could he still be a pass rusher situationally, third down, mm-hmm. coming off the bench, limited snaps, and do some good for a team for even maybe even a five-year period in this league? I think he could. But he overtook Eric Murray in the most snaps on the defence this this week when Eric Murray had been on the COVID list, if, that coming out early Sunday morning. So he needs to find a way to either put up or shut up in my mind, I think, because he, he's not played at a level that you could expect. He's not even played at his level that he played at last year. And I don't think he's ever been the sort of $17.5 million player since 2018. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've kind of got a, a two, three-year decline. Now, look, the roster management and the roster composition has been, you know, is, is well documented. There's probably not much point of us going through all the moves that we've made and all the, the weaknesses. But the franchise hasn't planned ahead. So that won't make you think, well, right, if what's the best package you can get, a second or a third, second and a third maybe, I think it's probably your kind of ceiling of what somebody will pay from at this stage of his career because you think, well, Frank Clark in his prime was what a second and some some picks when he went from Seattle to Kansas City. So I, it's, it's a really tough balance of not letting yet another asset walk out the building and, and have a limited return for him. But then also at the same time, you know, are we better off cap-wise and are we better off roster building for the next two to three years? Because I think this is a two to three-year project to build a defense that can maybe be, you know, middle of the pack. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even if it's middle of the pack, it's much better than what we already have. You know, that's why yeah, I Well, think, that's all we need. That's all we need. Yeah, that's all we need. So, I mean, it's just, it's just, man, like, I don't know what to do because it's a hard, it's a hard decision to make. I mean, can J.J. Watt get you a first? No, I don't think so. I don't think anyone pays up for him. I can't. Potentially, you never know. Some maybe a new GM in a building when it makes a splash. But I find it tough to to think it might happen. Do you think you can get one? I think it depends on who makes it to the Super Bowl and who loses. I think that I think that there's gonna like I'm looking at the Steelers because one, of course, his brothers are there. Now let's say I know they look they don't look that good. Let's say they make a run. And next thing you know, we're like, okay, you know what? That maybe the piece is JJ and we're gonna have a first round pick anyways. We don't we're probably not even gonna play the rookie we get from it. You, you know, let's try to get a JJ Watt and help solidify this defense. I think somebody's gonna give you something for JJ Watt. It's just gonna see can this, you know, can the new GM get the best of you know, get you know, get the best stuff for him. We just have to wait and see. Yeah, I think the Steelers are too well run to give a first-round pick, and I yeah. don't mean that in isolation of what I mean the fact that they traded a first-round pick for Minka Minka Fitzpatrick, which is which was with the Dolphins last year, and I don't think any franchise that that thinks ahead, <laughs> unlike Houston, has done mm-hmm. for the last eighteen months to two years. I don't think people trade second-round picks back back to back years because when you stop that inflow of talent into your building, which we've seen and we're now really showing up on this roster, if you think there was no pick in 2018, there was no second-round pick in 2018 for the Deshaun trade and then the Brock Osweiler removal uh, trade effectively at the Browns. So there was two picks out of the building. Then you've now got last year's uh, first-round pick and we've got this this year's first and second-round pick. We're going to be really short of talent or good you know, premier talent on the on, in, the, in this roster at cheap prices. Uh, and that's our biggest, you know, issue when we, you know, we're starting to come up against the cap. Now, we've got huge cap flexibility and there's a lot of shit that we can get rid of this offseason. Yeah. Um, and we could do a whole podcast on that, I think, mate. We could really, <laughs> we could clear some out. Um, so I don't think the Steelers do it. And I think there's only certain teams in very certain positions that would do it because 
if you think of the Ravens this year and they added Yannick Ngokwe after you know he got mm-hmm. a cup of coffee in Minnesota and then went home, he's not played well. And and, you, and there's there there's guy you know that you can give up first round picks for sure things. Just look at Stefan Diggs, right? Last night had a hell of a game against the Patriots. You know the Bills made that trade. It's paid off. It's actually paid off as well for Minnesota. They've got a young cheap talent as well for mm-hmm. another three years after this with you know with an option of an extra fifth. So, you know, trades can pay off, but I, I just don't see somebody on the back end of their career commanding enough that we could get a couple of players that you think you might get a situational pass rusher and you might get just a stout defensive tackle or or, you know, or a corner or, or some combination of those, um, you know, on or even on the other side of the ball. But I, I, the more you think about it, I sense that whatever you get from them, the sort of emotional loss and move on will will overshadow any pick you got. And we've already had enough of that kind of feeling with the Hopkins trade. Yeah, I mean, not to mention that. But, I mean, so, I mean, even if someone offers me a second, dude, I have to look at it. I mean, because, I mean, we have nothing, dude. We have nothing to help this new coach, whoever he is, come in and, you know, and have every asset available. That's what that, you know, that's what makes this decision much harder. Yeah, I think the the pass rush is just not there. I think Amena who leads in pressures this year. Yeah. Uh, and it's you know, it's I think sixteen, seventeen in that region. And he's okay, Charles Amenu, but he's he's not he's and he's he's decent against the pass, but he can't defend the run particularly well. You know, you've got Ross Blacklock in the second round, high second round pick. You know, he almost made a play in the backfield. But that's it. He's almost made a couple of plays here and there and spends a lot of time rolling around on the deck and you know that's you know, even when you get a, a pick like that, you know, so you say you get that pick again for Walt or somebody else, it's not it's not a surefire fix, particularly, you know, in the trenches. And in the trenches and at corner, the two hardest spots to fill, that's our biggest need, I think, by, you know, by, by some distance. Oh, man, I completely agree. And that's why there's a certain hand coach that does excite me because of the potential ability, the potential of bringing players alongside great coaches with them. Yeah, and you know, I, I it, the the talent is that bad on this team uh, defensively that I don't think it matters the coach. I don't think it matters the scheme. I just think on defense you can't hide bad players. You know, yeah. I mean, what do, what do you think of Keon crossing? Right, because there was a lot of talk about Keon, and you know, and he was he was doing an admirable job. He was getting in the way early, but then they kept targeting him, and then he found you know, and then they racked up a significant amount of yards. I think he's a guy that is probably one of these guys that's maybe the fifth or fourth cornerback on your team. You know, good special team player can come and help you out in a pinch, you know, a couple of weeks here and there. But I don't see him anything beyond that. Oh, I mean, I completely agree. I was looking at him. And I was thinking, you know, maybe they might have found something with them. But then I thought about, well, well, you know, we've seen this before, you know. So let's just see how he is. You know, I don't think he's going to be a starter next year. I, like I said, I think he should just be a special teamer coming when he needs to make the little plays when he's, you know, when he's um, asked to, but then again, he did go against two receivers who were over 6'4". But, I mean, he did a good job. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, Keon Crossing, you know, did a horrible job. I'm not going to sit here and already hand him the keys to, you know, the third cornerback spot or ever. I think he definitely, based on this game, deserved a spot, you know, next year. Um, it just is going to be Kenny compete, and it's, it's frustrating because he is miles ahead of Vernon Hargreaves. He is miles ahead of if of Philip Gaines, why all the way until week 16 do you find a way to put this man on the field? That's what frustrates me. 
Yeah, and it's, it's the lack of turnovers as well. And I think oh. in the, the back end, I think we're the only the fourth team in 20 years. I saw this on Twitter that to, to force so few fumbles. And one of the other four teams in there was a 2013 defense. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it's just, you know, we don't have any dogs on this team, man. We don't have any playmakers. And that's sad to say, because when you look at Justin Reed, when you look at Zach Cunningham, you're thinking, man, these guys are going to be, you know, fump, causing forced fumbles, getting interceptions. It just hasn't been the case for whatever reason, man. That's why this next head coach, whoever he is, this is the most important hire ever. Right, because this is going to determine if 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 you're going to win a Super Bowl with Deshaun Watson or not. But the lack of turnovers is frustrating. It's frustrating. You know, it kind of makes me miss Andre Hall because Andre Hall was just an interception machine. You know, we just got to get this defense together. Now you can, because I don't, because in my opinion, I don't think it's that hard to build a defense. You know, we've seen Miami do it this year. We saw Jackson do it a couple years ago. Uh, you know, you just have to invest in it. Yeah, and that's the trouble, right? Because I think we're just going to have to get such a fine balance of getting not pay, overpaying for free agents because we'll need yeah. to sign at least four or five. Because if I, if I look on the defensive side of the ball, and I think regardless of the PED, I don't think you can let Roby go. You could potentially lower his cap hit and use the PED against them to mm-hmm. leverage you know, a lower cap hit. I think you, you maybe re-sign Jacob Martin. He's, you know, he flashes, but the coaching staff have never trusted him. But he's a kind of talent you think you know a new coaching staff Potential. could do more with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zach Cunningham, yeah, I mean, I think the contract, you know, based on how he's played, has not been a good look. Justin Reed, I don't think you sign him, or maybe you look to sign him on a sort of, sort of two- to three-year deal um, and, and get a, get him at a cheaper rate now if he was to come back for a, a better season, which, you, you know, we think he's capable of. But, but you know, beyond that, I think you've got guys like Amenahu, you know, role player. You hope Blacklock becomes something. Um, obviously, you're saddled with Eric Murray for another year, so you've got to try and make it work with him. And then, yeah, as we said, JJ could, you know, he could be here, he could not be. I think if he is here, you've got to renegotiate that cap hit and bring it down. And mm-hmm. if he's willing to take a hometown discount, you keep him back there. But that probably leaves us with at least six or seven spots to fill. And I think the most, imp- or the biggest decision this defense will have will be the just ask, can you get Merciless to retire? I think that's the only way you can get out that contract and not take his cap hit um, or a COVID opt out if that stuff. Yeah, that, that's the kind of stuff. But I don't think he's going to walk away. And, you know, there's, there's certain players, and obviously what only really sees the defensive players, and just touching on that speech was, or that, that he made and, and you know, and referenced a specific question, and he felt he let down the fans and, you know, it's been a tough watch the last couple of weeks, but, you know, he's referencing those defensive counterparts. So whoever those guys are, you know, if I was the next GM and the next head coach, I'd be going, you know, who are you talking about specifically? And let's just get rid of them and start afresh because it it's not like you've got, you know, any team can handle bad attitude players, but they're talented. You can, you can manage that, but it's players that aren't putting the work in and that, that aren't talented players that you need to get rid of and, I think there's maybe a few back there. Um, not that they're bad guys; they're just not putting in the level of work they need to to try and try and be successful. So I think the defense is going to be difficult to fix. Is there any 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 way you can see it even being middle of the road by next year? I, I struggle when you write it down on paper. I just don't think you can you can predict. I mean, it's quickly. going to be tough. It just depends on who you bring in, in terms of players, in terms of coach. Um, you know, there are players out there who you could try to bring in on free agency who can help this team, you know, get better. Uh, like I said, I mean, I'm in your boat. I don't see how it's going to happen, but, you know, you don't have a choice. If you want to win the Super Bowl, this defense has to get better. Now, that might be overpaying for people. That may be finding a gym, but, you know, you're just going to have to 
bring in somebody who can utilize the talent that we already have and make it respectable. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, like if you look at, you know, just somebody like on the 49ers, uh, like the Kerry Hyder Jr. Uh, that's on there. He's he's racked up eight and a half sacks, 30 tackles this year. And he's just coming on a small deal. You know, there's always, you know, and like you think about Shaq Barrett when he went, before he went to um, the the Bucks. you know, when he was stuck on the Denver uh, depth chart right behind Vaughn Miller and uh, in the, uh, what's the other guy called? The outside linebacker. Um his name escapes me, but anyway, he's stuck on he's stuck on the on that roster. Um, get get you know gets a sort of prove it deal, low low to medium risk one year deal, and you know and blows up. So you're probably going to need like two or three of those, <laughs> I think, which is 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 so, is highly highly unlikely um, for this defense. But I think you know enough about that. I think if we look at the if we look at the offense, um, interesting caveat: Tunsil goes out. You then got a line of Johnson. Sharping, Martin, Fulton, and uh, and then Charlie Heck at right tackle, and that's probably the best they've run the ball all year. That's sad. You know that's sad. Um, yeah, like I mean, also, let's the Bengals defense is isn't that good either, but it's frustrating because where was this you know like when we needed it against the good games where we couldn't run the ball to save our lives and we had to rely on Deshaun Watson that's why I'm saying it's really frustrating to see this team play the way it does because one game the offense will be fantastic and the deep we haven't really played a full four four quarters of football I mean the only game I could say is the Lions game we just blew them out but you know you know like I said it's just frustrating um even though David Johnson has had a good couple of weeks, man, I think you know I don't I think it's just fool's gold. I think you get rid of him. You know, I think he's been absolutely, you know, trash. We have people who who fans who are thinking about keeping him. I'm like, no, he's he's gonna be one of the highest paid running backs next year as well. Uh, the, the, you know, there's no reason why we should keep anybody from the B O B regime, you know, that he brought in last year. Like the Eric Murray's if, of the world. You yeah. know, I think you got a clean house, man. If, if David Johnson wants to come back for, you know, a million bucks next year rather than the 12 he's slated for, then, yeah, you could probably live with that. And he might want to do that. Um, but I, I thought it was no- noticeable in his post-game conference when he talked about effectively seeking professional help about, you know, his mental aspect of the game. And he's been put under a lot of strain. And I think that's not his fault. And look, he, he was, is he past his best when, you know, he, you know, he looked... Like he could be one of the best running backs all time in 2016 when they, before they paid him that big deal in Arizona. Yeah, he did. He looked good, and it's, but it's not his fault. And I think the, the biggest frustration for me was they kept it simple in the run game. They just ran simple zone concepts. And actually, those guys that were out there, and particularly Sharpen, if you watch, if you watch the, uh, he the played touch, good. The first, yeah, the first touchdown, he, he, he drives his man back five or six yards off the ball. And that's not happened all year. And, and the reason why is because well, I think it's the Mike Devlin factor, but they've just, you know, they've just messed about with the running game consistently. Different concepts, not just finding things that you're good at and sticking to it. And they just ran simple zone. And that's what David Johnson runs well. So, you know, he was, in, you know, moved in a trade that was, you know, grossly unfair against him. There's always going to be so much pressure on him. And then to not get the best out of him and not throw to him consistently. And you saw the touchdown he caught there as well, lined up against the linebacker outside, slants in, easy, easy six. And, He's just not been used well, and it comes back to those coaches, and you feel for the guy because you know last week in India, I thought we had a great rotation of the running backs. We we, we rotated three guys in and out, 
and and actually it was really effective for the first time in you know well not for six years has that been done in Houston it, probably the last time we had a rotation was was uh, was uh, when Foster when Foster Tate. used to yeah and Tate used to come in for the relief as a bit of a banger so the, the David Johnson has not been used well and I I don't think you can you can slate him too badly for that but if he wants to come back for you know a small deal fine you know you could you could probably use a player like that but. The, the fact that they ran the ball so easily and simply, yeah, you're right, not a good defense. But when you, you know, this coaching staff has made things more difficult for it needed to be in the run game. And I think they're, you know, they're maybe 30, 40% of our problems in the run game, but they're certainly a significant part of it. I agree, but don't you, but don't you think that's what we should stay away from? Because we've done it before. I mean, look at last year, Darren Fells had eight receiving tight ends, you know, one of the best tight ends in the red zone. And now this year we gave him a, a I mean, not a, a huge contract. And, you know, he hasn't really been a factor. That's mainly because of Jordan Aikens, you know. Um, but I just don't think we should really just do to what we always do is that we see a player play good towards the end. We're like, oh, well, oh yeah, yeah. You yeah, know? No, I think, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, man. I think in the sense of that the – they need to, yeah. You you want to move on? I think you just you just want to you know uproot everything yeah. and just start again. But I think the Braxton Miller, yeah, Braxton. You know, there's been so many of those guys that have just not been used to their potential. And actually, you know, and 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 what frustrates me more is the fact they're now doing this at this late stage when it means you know nothing, nothing. to anybody. Yeah, and and then you've got guys like Scotty Phillips, Buddy Howell, who need tape and need snaps, you know, to, to try and you know, and could could Buddy Howell and, and Scotty Phillips got some of those yards? Probably, you know. And I think it does. I think a lot of the time, you know, when you've got a top five salaries for you know, or top five combined salaries for Duke and David this year, the run game's been your biggest detractor in offense. To to not give these guys a chance late in the season and just run David Johnson. It was good to see him play, and I, I'm happy for him personally. But for a franchise and for us moving forward, you think just give these young guys a go because what's the point of watching this now? It's too late. If this was going, you could if you'd done this from the start of the season, then fine. But to do it now, it just feels you know it, it just sums up all our problems as a franchising from you know front office to you know to the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean it's frustrating. It's frustrating, and that's why I've been saying this. You know, it's time to clean house. Tiny clean house, get everybody out and get a new team because this is the most important. I don't really like. I don't think people realize how important this hire is, man. Like, like this is gonna determine if we win a Super Bowl or not. We finally have the QB. Yeah, you. Yeah, we're in danger of 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 diminishing Deshaun's talents and his exactly. potential achievements in his career. What did you think of Tunsil going out? And I know Charlie Heck just about got killed, killed Watson twice, He's, <laughs> but. And the heck pick, you know, is 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 as a dismay. I think, considering how short we are on that side of the ball, and and considering how, you know, he's not been used. And okay, he was fine, but you know, his his own head coach um, from North Carolina came out. You know, didn't wasn't glowing in his praise, and he you know, and he needed to work on his technique when he's when his father is a is an online coach. So if that's the case, then that's you know, you've got to really worry about the guy. I think he was okay at times. Um, and he was always going to happen um, that he was probably going to make a couple of slips, and he did when he first came on. And then obviously the final game with the turnover was hit, you know, on him as well. Um, Sam Hubbard's a good rusher, and you know he just played at a small market team, so you probably don't see a lot about him. But that pick, plus obviously this huge trade, when when Tunsil goes out, you don't look like a different offense because your offense is you know 
60, 65, maybe even 70% of your quarterback. Because that's been proven this year when all the receivers gone out and guys like Hansen, well, never had a good game on Sunday, but Hansen, Kiki, you know, and then Cooks comes alive again, which was another frustrating point of why we're not, you know, why we waited so long to see this. But when Tunsil goes out, the offense doesn't drop markedly. And I think when you see that as plain as day, and we've seen it a couple of times now against New England and I saw Rivers McCowan put this out. It's a really good point, and it's been off. You know, it's been off. it was the same in the London game last year, which was probably the you know the Texans' best game last year, like a complete performance, like you were talking about. When he goes out, there's just not that drop off, and when you don't see that drop off happen, and all you've got all those other holes, that trade just doesn't look that great. I don't think. I mean, then again, like like I said, it is the Bengals. You know, it is the Bengals. It does. It it is kind of worrisome that that the offensive line looked the same or did better in the running game. But then again, Tunsil's a beast. I mean, Tunsil is keeping Deshaun Watson clean. You know, do we remember the times of Kendall Lamb? Do we remember when Matt Khalil was going to be the starting left tackle and we were so worried for Deshaun Watson? Deshaun Watson has been sacked less with Tunsil here. That's the good part because you're too... And tackles are solidified, Tunsil and and uh, Howard. Now it's your guards that need work. Zach Fulton is trash. It's not good. And Max Sharpin, um, I love the guy. They couldn't develop him. That's on Mike Devlin. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, we shouldn't have traded for, you know, for Lemmy Tunsil because it was bad without him. And I mean horrible. Yeah, Sean Watson I think was it's- getting murdered. Well, yeah, I mean, he was and he wasn't. I think he's got better at not taking the unnecessary hits and the sacks. And I agree. He does, he does throw it away more. Um, and I think he's got he's, he's refined that aspect of his game. But I think if you look at, you know, his 2018 season, he's only thrown for just over three, just under 300 yards more, only four touchdowns. Um, and he's only, av- you know, and he's only averaging... Uh, yards per attempt he's only actually averaging 0.6 yards per attempt more than he did in 2018 when you had no line and it was a problem but I think the coaching staff again made it a problem but you know when when Titus Howard never got the chance to play left tackle and you just yeah. go gung-ho and make that you know because you can fit anybody in it at right tackle and sometimes get away with it you could have got one and and if you look at how good the guys this offseason and this last draft Jedrick Willis and Tristan Wirfs weren't the first two guys taken, but they've played well. Mickey Beckton's played well, you know. And look, that hadn't happened for a lot of years. It was that was a fluke year? But I just think when you add that layer on top, when you when you think if you take Tunsil out of that, when he he doesn't kick tail in the running game, like you know, actually, I would actually almost go as far as say sometimes on some downs, on screens, and on on some running uh, running concepts, particularly outside zone, getting out there. And it, I would say Johnson, um, Rod Johnson has done a decent job. And you, know, you could argue in the run game, obviously not nowhere near as good as Tunsil in the passing game. But in the run game, I just don't think Tunsil's anywhere near as he, as he needs to be, considering what we've paid for him. So I just thought it was interesting that, that you know, when he go, you know, when he went out, and it's a trade that will define us for, you know, until we get into 2022. But it, it just, his, his omission isn't a Jalen Ramsey or a, you know, or uh, even even Jamal Adams, like they've made a huge difference to that defense on the back end. He's made some difference. I just think sometimes when he goes out, you see that difference probably isn't as quite as marked as you like it to be considering the compensation. 
I just think it's kind of hard, you know, because when an offensive line is looked at, it's looked at as a unit, not single, you know, yeah. people. Yeah. You know, when we look at the Cowboys, we don't think about, oh, they have the good center. They have all this. No, the, we look at the Cowboys and say, that's an offensive line. That's a great offensive line. And, you know, Tunzel really wasn't developed that good in Miami. And he for sure has not been coached up and developed here in Houston. So, I mean, and he's this good. I mean, he's only going to get better. This team's going to, I mean, this line is going to get better with the right head coach. Um, I don't like regret the Tunzel trade. I think it was probably maybe you played, you overpaid two months, but I wouldn't do it again with just knowing how good he is. I mean, last year he had the false start problems this year. I think he only has what, two, maybe three. I'm not sure, but still only giving up less than three sacks. It's, I mean, tons is just a beast, but you know, we just, we need to see this, this offensive line being coached the correct way. Cause it hasn't. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, that includes Zach Phil in this, but I mean, considering his cap, hit, mm-hmm. considering Nick Martin's cap, hit, I mean, you could take them out, get, you know, two, three, $4 million guys, Maybe even get some rookies with good coaching. This line could improve, but um, it was—it's been a rotation the last couple of weeks. And I think when the, the season starts to crumble and you've got both tackles out, you know, Cavill and Tunzel went out back to back plays, and it, it it made the Watson did a good job in the second half of, of of stepping up in the pocket, relieving pressure and finding guys. And but they they started to get home more and more as the pass as, as the Texans looked to pass and try and score quickly, but. It was a, a game, I think, probably to be forgotten. Uh, I think in terms of the, you know, the Texans. I think when you score thirty-one points at home, I don't care who's on your defense. I don't care who's on the other side. You should have a chance to win. And and the fact that we just couldn't stay on the field again is just a killer. Well, you know, I think that's going to be one of the worst losses of the season. And there's been a lot of them. And we're sitting, you know, we would have been sitting third overall pick. And there's, you know, that's the kind of position that you pick up a player that can transform your defense or even, you know, even your offense. Um, if yeah. you needed, you know, if you wanted a Jamar Chase or, or you know, you want to pick, you know, one of the corners on the, you know, there's about three or four corners there. The guy for West Virginia. There's, you know, there's a couple of, you know, big premier talents. Mika Parsons at Penn State. You know, linebacker. If you want to invest in that position, so it just feels like we won't have that again. And for your offense to not, you know, your offense has still been good. I think it could get better because I think we're still, you know, middle of the pack in scoring. You know, we've we've, we've moved the ball well, but I suppose when you fumble uh, in the two-yard line against the Colt twice and then fumble again and, and be inefficient in the red zone, I think that's been the biggest thing. Oh, man, I completely agree. You know, it's just... Um, I mean, we're going to always look at this trade and say, is this the right trade or was this, you know, the part of the slippery slope that what we are now is, you know, a 4-11 and football team. But I just, I see how bad this, this offensive line was and I see how bad, uh, and I see, I really, we, you know, we really saw how bad it was in the left tackle spot. And that's why I'm just like, man, I just, it's kind of hard for some, like, you know, to judge that because we were, at one point, murdering him, and all, and a lot of it wasn't his fault, you know. Obviously, Deshaun Watson was also, you know, just holding the ball too long. You know, I just, I just think that it's gonna get better with the actual OC, you know, who knows how to scheme. Because if you have somebody who knows how to scheme, everything looks better. You got any guys you're looking for at, at uh, in front uh, the front office in in terms of uh, a GM? Is there anyone that you think? I mean. I think my number one is Ed Dodds. I think Ed Dodds is the way to go for the Houston Texans. What he is doing 
you know, he's put up a fantastic, you know, defense with, um, you know, with the Colts. And I know he's been tied to Robert Sala. You know, you know, that's a topic that we're going to get into a little bit. But I think Ed Dodds is the way to go. You know, I think he's done a great job. You know, I think the Colts are a well-put-together team. You know, they were a team who lost Andrew Luck, and, you know, they they just find ways to win. You know, they get Jonathan Taylor. They, You know, they're finding, you know, the number 81 from the, the tight end who's playing good. I, I forgot his name. But I think someone who could drive good and someone who could put a good-together team, we need that. And I think Ed Dodds is the way to go. He's obviously the sexy hire. He's what everybody wants. Yeah, I think the fact that he's assistant GM, I think you basically, if you're in the front office, you're not the GM. You can't get in promoted beyond that unless unless you're in Houston or something and you want to promote a, a, a pastor to VP of operations. <laughs> uh, but, but in terms of football people in the front office, you can't get a, a high, you know, you can't get a higher rank than that really as assistant GM. And you think that somebody that's potentially priming themselves for a GM spot. And yeah, and it's it's so tough if you're not like in the business. You don't know where these guys have, you know, been slated and what, you know, decisions they actually made. What were they, you know, what were they actually directly contributing to? Um, but he seems like a, a, a one. I think a guy that I've kind of thought about again, I know the Texans were in from in the last coaching or the last um, hiring cycle. It was Will McClay at the Cowboys. He's from mm. Houston. He's basically held the Jerry Jones madhouse down and made it look like a functioning football franchise when you've got, you know, a crazy billionaire there trying to make decisions that like he's playing on Madden. So I think he would be a great hire. Whether Jerry Jones would let him come down because, you know, there was, again, it's you know, speculation, but when the year after Brock Osweiler and it seemed like we were going to sign Tony Romo, it was almost like Jerry Jones stepped in and said to Tony, you want to get to the booth and I'll, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to undo your legacy here and, you know, really leverage that relationship. And you could probably see that happening again if Will McClay was a target. Um, I, I think Ed Dodds, considering he's been in two franchises that have been well run, I think that, I know I, I can see that there. If it is to be Ed Rubin, who would you want to see as his head coach? Robert Fala. Yeah. yeah. I, I I think that's the way to go. And I think you've kind of got my vibe from that, this whole, you know, podcast. Yeah. I think that's who you have to go. I'm tired of being on the wrong side of amazing games because the defense gives up money. But you know who makes that hire really hard? Brian Dabo. He is making it very hard on me because what he is doing with Josh Allen is absolutely insane. But I have to stick with my gut. I have to not not get the head coach who I want, but the head coach I need, and that is Robert Sala. You know, yeah, I, and then I think they, they often end up at this conversation a few times. If it is Sala, and a lot of people have kind of singled out Sala now. Um I know he was in Houston, and that I think that that does help. I think in terms of familiarity, if it is him, who does he bring in uh, with with them as OC? Because that's you know that's the bit on the other side of the ball. You can't let that slip. Because even if it's small improvements on this defense, it's still not going to be very good. But we can't let the offense slip. So you know if he's bringing in an OC, who would it be? Because that you know any change in scheme is huge for us. Because if the Sean regresses or the offense regresses. You know, we're looking at, a, you know, a high draft slot again next season. You know, here's the thing. Like, I don't even think the, um, oh, how can I say it? Um, 
I think the offense is going to be fine. I think that, you know, I think that if we're doing this good with Tim Kelly, whoever the offensive head coach is going to be good. But I think someone like Michael LaFleur, who is the passing game coordinator for the 49ers, I think he is somebody who who excites me, you know, because it comes with that LaFleur system, that Shanahan system, that bootleg with Matt Shaw. We're going to see with Deshaun Watson. I think I, I think if he could bring in a potential you know, Mike LaFleur is good. I think Mike Medan- Mike McDaniel could be good as well. Um, but I just think that not only that, he could bring in D'Amico Ryans. You know, I think he, he I think he has can put together the best staff. Yeah, and I think I think that's I think you're right on that. You can see the picture. I think that's the the biggest thing, and that you can see the vision from Ed Dodds to Salah to you know one of those guys. Do you think Mike uh, or Kyle Shanahan rather? Um, lists as many because you know he's going to not let that many guys go of his staff and just let them be easy pickers. Do you think they go without a fight? Because that might be a struggle to bring multiple of those guys with them. Oh yeah, I mean you know that's what you want. You know we had this conversation um, a couple uh, a, a couple nights ago. Is um, is do people want to play for Robert Sala? Do people want to coach for Robert Sala? And I will say yes. I mean, can you think of the potential of bringing a Richard Sherman to Houston, uh, a Solomon Thomas to Houston? Because they will most likely follow Robert Sala because of the, how highly they spoke to him. And that's two good pieces that could help your defense now. And I think that's something that fans should really, you know, really look at is not only who, which staff can he bring, but what players can he potentially bring as well? Yeah, and I suppose I suppose you know San Francisco will have a bottleneck at some point, like they did with Buckner, and and uh, have to trade him. So there, there maybe some of those players slip out of that building, and potentially would prefer if the money was right. Um, it's it's a tough, it's such a tough challenge, like you said earlier. You know, it's this just defines the future of this team. Oh, yeah. so much. It's uh, so many ways. I I, I yeah. When I, I watched back the Buffalo game last night and. Look, if Brian Dable wasn't linked to Easterby, I, I, I think there would be a lot more people clamoring for him. Oh, Easterby, that's another topic for another day. Oh, <laughs> my God, we got to get this dude out of here. But he's 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 their best buddy. So if if, if Brian Dable's here and it says Joe Schoen from, from Buffalo, um, he's assistant GM as well. So he's right at the top of that tree, ready for a move elsewhere if he's going to leave. If Joe Schoen's the GM, Brian Dable's and then he used to be here, and that that's, that scares that's the, you. That scares the, you. The thought that I keep coming back to, yeah, because I think that's the issue, isn't it? That's why Watts pissed off. That's why he's talking about this stuff because things behind the scenes have not been managed in a professional football, pro football like manner, and that's why this team, as Watts says, stinks, and they're they're sitting at four wins. And and look, a new coaching staff brings them new life, new players. There'll be a lot of guys to go. But that, that's got to be the worry. I keep coming back to think I would just go go if I if it was my dollars, I would go to Oklahoma and I would say to Lincoln Riley, what does it take? Who's you know, you've got an unlimited budget for coaching staff, bringing the best, most you know, bring the best guys on the defensive side of the ball, bring your scheme in the all the coaches you can, because Matt Rule did it when he let I know it was Baylor, so it's a bit of a different gig, and Oklahoma's a pretty good place to coach if you're a if you're a college guy. But I'd go up to him and say, Look, tell me what it needs. To bring you and your best men with you and go and win a, uh, a Super Bowl with Deshaun. Because if you can get a tune of, of Spencer Rattler, I don't know if anybody ever watched that QB1 program. Yeah, what a dick he is. unlikable. But he, <laughs> yeah, and he's exactly like Baker Mayfield 
and he, you know, and he got Eric, uh, he got Kyler Murray to Eric Murray, been number one, uh, Kyle, um, Kyler Murray to number one overall pick. And he's, you've shown in his second year, he's not the complete quarterback, but Deshaun is. So you think if you, if you take those three guys who were, you know, and uh, Rattler's just been named Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. So, you know, he's shown on a number of quarterbacks, despite talent. He's, yeah, he can develop them and he's, and he's tailored his scheme to fit them on a level that's probably unparalleled, you know, and look, it's a jump in the, co- in the college game to the, to the pros. Um, but I think, you know, if the, the game is changing and my, my only fear with this sort of Shanahan system and look, it's still been effective, but the game is changing. What we've seen with Deshaun is, you know, five wide, empty set, spread the field around, stretch the boundaries and, and just let him go and pick his passes off and he'll keep moving the ball. And that system to me, similar to, and Dayball's not too far away from that. It's a bit more of a, a, a pro modeled version. But I think for me, I keep just going back to that thought. But I, I don't, you, you don't know. It's, I think there's certain jobs in college. It's just so hard to get guys out of the building, but I keep coming back. No, to but that. that actually excites me. That's something I have not thought about. But don't you think it'll take a lot of money to get Lincoln from uh, Oklahoma? Oh, you make him the high. You'd have to make him the highest paid coach in the league, probably. Yeah. Now, no. Okay, hold on. So, are you talking about Lincoln Riley as a as a head coach or an OC? Oh, sorry, Riley. Yeah, Riley. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Riley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think Day. Yeah, Dayball. Yeah, I. I don't know. I. He wasn't the thing I think about him is with Dayball now. He's done a great job this year, but the the biggest jump of this year has been that Allen has jumped his accuracy by thirteen hundred mm-hmm. basis points. And that's just on, you know, he's gone from 59 uh, right up to, you know, up to 69, 70 odds. So he's, he is in that, that is just unheralded now. Was that Jason, the Jason Palmer, Carson's brother, that's the coach of the quarterbacks was how much was that to do with him? You know, you can, you know, people say you can change accuracy. He's done that. So how much of that has been him? How much of that's been Stefan Diggs? You know, as that sort of number one receiver, and he said last night after the game, "I don't want to give Dayball credit because I don't want to lose him." So he's he's a good coordinator. Does that translate in a head coach? But he was a coordinator when Jack Easterby was there in 2012 uh, in in Kansas City, and he's not been one since. So that might be down to luck, but there might be more reasons for that. And I I, I just he's a guy that his name and his links to Easterby just makes me uneasy, and I. If it was a choice between Dayball and, and Salah, I think Salah every time. But but then the concern is, what do they do on the offensive side of the ball not to slip back? Because ultimately, Tim Kelly's leaving and the playbook that Deshaun's known his entire pro career, you know, it's no longer there. So he's, he's potentially a fresh start, which I think uprooting that too much on that side of the ball radically could set us You back don't see Kingsbury. what Cliff Kingsbury doing and that doesn't worry you with someone like Lincoln Riley? Potentially, yeah. I think you need a, a model system. I think you need some of that, but you need to be able to run the ball. But I, yeah, I, yeah, it's a good point, Ruben. I think you and you see there. But I mean, if you compare, you can't really compare Kyler Murray to Watson because they're not in the same. Oh, I agree. In, it's in just like, um, like if I, like if you do get Lincoln Riley, I think it has to be for OC. You know. I, yeah, but he's not yeah, going to come, not gonna gonna come, come for that. For that. I mean, I it. wouldn't mind it. I mean, I yeah. thought about that too. You know, I like exactly like you know we had the same mindset. I was like, well, you know, Lincoln Riley's going to bring a next level to Deshaun Watson, but do the Houston need an offensive minded coach at the moment? At the moment, they do not. They need someone who's going to bolster this defense and 
you know, like he's... Yeah, but even even if even if we had Belichick, I don't think you can make this defense good next year, you know, or the year, you know, or particularly the year after. So I I, I just keep coming back to that. You want because I think if you do, ha- and the biggest thing I think about is if you do hire a defensive mm-hmm. head coach, you then have the opportunity to then lose that offensive coordinator next year. In a new, assume it's a new playbook, right? He's Deshaun's learning a new playbook, plays really well, might be MVP level, and that guy gets picked up as a head coach. If your head coach isn't effectively the play caller, like Andy Reid is, or Doug Peterson was when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, or you know any guys like that, that that you're not likely to move unless the whole coaching staff gets fired. I think having that consistency, if the playbook is to change and what the offense has been asked to do changes somewhat then I think that's a risk because it could be great. You could have a great guy, great leader. Because I think about it in the sense of, do you think Mike Vrabel would have been anywhere as successful as he has been in Tennessee if it wasn't for Arthur Smith calling plays on offense with, with the, the revelation of Tannehill? I mean, that's a good, you know, that's a good choice. You know, that's a good thing to bring up. You know, like, and I had the same concerns. Is if I get a defensive minded head coach and whoever OC is going to come in, he's going to obviously look over Deshaun Watson and he's going to end up leaving the next year. But, you know, it goes back to that's the benefit of having Watson, who is, if he could, if he could do it with Bill O'Brien and Tim Kelly, who was a freaking tight ends coach, he's going to do it with anybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know he is. But I just think you've, we've always asked him to do more Agreed. and more and more and more. And you want and you want that not to be the case for the next two to three years. You just want to ask him to play within the system, take the easy throws, take what the defense gives you, and, and hopefully you can get a, a defense that's just good enough to give him the ball back one or two times a game, you know, or every you know, or every couple of games. And I think if you ask him to change system and then you know, and then you ask him to change system again, that's potentially where you could see you know, a, not a decline, but a flattening out of his growth. Because at the minute, it's, it's the trajectory is still up. And I think anything that potentially risks that, because he's our only asset, we've got no picks, we've not got much cap space without, you know, doing a lot of re-engineering of the, of the shape of the salary um, curve for us. Then any changes, I just think, puts a risk. And when he is yep. your hope 100%, you know, and limited else, then that, that's just what concerns me about a defensive coach. And the fact they could leave... Is is tough, but is there any other ones you've got beyond Sam? I mean, you think Joe Brady excites sure? me. Well, I, will, I will love me some Joe Brady. He's young, though, isn't he? He's young. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and again, it's like if you don't take him now, will that's, he be there? In the next and that, I'm glad you bring that up. Just like Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> yeah, like I'm Kyle glad Shanahan. you bring that up because I don't want to be the team that missed out on Joe Brady. Yeah, and it, I think the tr- the trouble is, is, is you probably don't want an overbearing personality as a head coach, I think, because we've had that and it didn't really work. Um, and, you know, Kubiak was a more reserved guy and all the players loved him. You know, and Brandon Brooks talked about that when he left. He was your best guard. He was the best guard in the league, but he didn't want to play for the type of dominating, you know, personality. And I think Vrabel's got that kind of mix of being both. You know, he'll be a hard-ass when he needs to be, but he'll, but he'll also be one of the one of the guys. At the same time, but yeah, Joe Brady has he got that leadership ability because he's only done a couple of years in the NFL, albeit under Sean Payton. But I think if you if if the Texans were to go for um, Terry Fontenot from the Saints, he's VP of Pro Personnel. I think who's a, who's a, a touted as a GM candidate and certainly his agency are doing a good job of touting. If it was him, 
and he's worked with Brady, he might be an option. You know, because I think it's got you've got to stem it back from the the GM because until we know the GM, we won't know what direction they'll go in head coach. It's all there's a lot of corners to turn, a lot of crossroads to to overcome. So in your ideal world, then Ruben, it's uh, it's Ed Dodds and Robert Sala leading this team forward. I think that's the Super Bowl. That's you know that 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 tandem's going to bring you a Super Bowl for years to come. Yeah, yeah. I I I spoke to somebody last week, and they told me that and that they were informed by somebody who has been right in the past that that Salah would doesn't not doesn't want the Houston job, but it's been intimated behind the scenes that he'd prefer Jacksonville or go home to Detroit before this job. So I think that's reading between the lines of what's been said and what's been reported, but that's certainly something that might be the case. Because I think, you know, if you look at Jacksonville, if I was a GM candidate, if I was from Houston, I was a Houston fan, I think the GM job in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, plus the picks, plus the most salary cap in the league next year, or if it was my hometown, you might, you can, you can see, you can connect the dots there, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree. But, I mean, I don't even know if they're going to fire Doug Marone, you know. So, <laughs> you know, we'll see about that. And then, you know, I've heard from, you know, people who work with, you know, know the Lions are like, well, they're right now, they're kind of in love with Jim Harbaugh. So, I mean, so, but then again, that's hearsay. Like, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. But, I, I mean, if you're Robert Sala, like, I don't know how you cannot look at the Houston Texans and say that's a job that I want to go to. Yeah, I, I think just the concern is you've got a year to, to correct and it could go wrong, you know, without not having too much to to ride the ship. One name, and I know, shout out to Cody Stoot's been on the show before and I've heard him talk about this in, in SI. If Doug Peterson got, got the can, if he can if he can take Nick Foles to a Super Bowl and make Carson Wentz look good, I know some of that was Frank Wright, but I know Frank Wright was coming under a lot of flack from the, from the Colts fans after they blew that lead on Sunday. Would you take Doug Peterson as a guy who's been there, done it, won the Super Bowl? If he gets fired from Philly, obviously. That's a tough one because there's you really can't blame a lot of it on Doug Peterson. Hire Roseman, I think, is one of is a horrible GM. He was popular for a time, I think. But yeah, I think well, he was. Yeah. He was, but he has he hasn't done good, you know, since the Super Bowl. Um, and then Carson Witz hasn't really helped out. At all, you know. I mean, any coach who has, you know, who comes from that Andy Reid is going to have a good offense, you know. And I think he's going to be successful if he gets his hands on Deshaun Watson. Um, yeah, I mean, when I heard Cody Stu said that too, I immediately texted him. I was like, I was like, dude, you know, this Doug Peterson. It kind of intrigues me because he's been there, multiple playoff series. You know, even though they suck, they're still in the running to, you know you know, to be in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if that excites yeah. me or not. I don't know if that excites me. That That's kind of a, well, okay, we know he's won one. Now let's see if he could. Yeah. And, and I think there's too much bad stuff going on with the Eagles to look at him. I'm saying, yeah, I'm, I'm happy not to be excited, but be proven wrong that it was the right man for the job. Um, oh, for sure. There's so many ways it could go at the minute. Um, hopefully we'll see some more candidates come out this week. Um, and just want to thank uh, Ruben for the 713 Houston Sports. You can check them out on YouTube for talking up some Texans. Despite the lows of this season, we managed to get some great people on and come and talk to us about this team that we hopefully will see 
turn the corner in 21. Ruben, thanks very much for your time, mate. We need to have you back on again in the off-season once we on some of the dust settles and this stuff. Thanks for having me, man, always. Yeah, appreciate your time, man. And uh, hopefully we'll be back next week to talk a final uh, game of the season. Could we get a win and put us oh, put something in the way of the Titans and get a bit of revenge for all the things they've done to Houston off the field over the years? Can we maybe get in the way of their playoff push? You can check us out at podcasttexans.com, at Podcast on Texans on Twitter and on Facebook. And we'll catch you again next week.